0: The challenge I I set people on the preaching team this year was to actually preach more than one Sunday every so often because what we've done in the past is that I've preached the majority of the messages and every so often somebody else gets a chance to preach. But I thought, wouldn't it be great if people had the opportunity to preach a series, to actually prepare two, three, five weeks of a message and bring something that has depth and meaning to it, and so Brendan, who's going to preach today, is I think this is week four of his five-week series. He he bit the bullet, took the plunge, and went for five weeks. I gave him an out. I said, No, no, we, we, I can I can fill in, but he said, No, I've got five weeks. I've got a message I want to preach, and it's going to take me five weeks. And the first one we were there for was amazing, and I have heard reports of the others that have been uh, preached and. I just cannot contain my excitement about what he's going to preach this morning. So I want you to give a great welcome to Brendan Skinner as he comes
1: to bring the Word of God. That is, that is a great welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't you just turn to the best next to you, so I'm excited to hear the Word of God this morning. And I'm so glad I'm sitting next to you. Fantastic. You're a good looking bunch. My goodness. Okay. So, uh, let's, let's jump straight in. Uh, if you've got an old, old fashioned paper Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25 with me. If you like to do things digitally, you can tap there or we can read it together on the screen. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to read you this story that Jesus tells. Uh, and that's going to act as the launching pad for this message. It says this in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of man going on a long trip. How long is long? Well, we can assume that it's at least 2018 years because the man in this story going on a trip is Jesus. And he has not yet returned. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. It's a 100% return. That's pretty good. The servant who, with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Does anyone want God to say that to them when they reach the end of their life? Well done, good and faithful servant. The servant who received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked And lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Things get pretty serious for that servant, so we want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Ends up who doesn't want to be the third servant who gets thrown into outer darkness where there is much weeping and gnashing of teeth. My father once brought this uh, parable, oh gosh. That was undone already. Thank you, Liz, for undoing that. I appreciate that. <laughs> that was very wise of you less wise of me. My dad brought this parable up with me uh, one day and, and he said, Brendan, don't you think that, uh, that Jesus is being a bit irresponsible, teaching people to invest their money? Because what if they lose their money? Then surely Jesus has led people down the garden path and they are, they are worse off. I think a lot of people, uh, have this idea, idea that Jesus is a good teacher. Has anyone heard people actually say that? I'm not sure people often say it, but I think people think it. Jesus is a good teacher and, and that this good teacher, Jesus, is going to lead us to some kind of an extra comfortable life. So, God forbid that this good teacher would teach you to invest your money because what if you lose your money then you're worse off. And I replied, I don't think the story is really about investments the way that you're talking about investments. It's not about it's it's not about how the servants could make money for themselves. It's actually about how the servants could use what God had entrusted to them. It's about how we can use what God has entrusted to us, which is our time, our gifts, our spiritual gifts, our talents, our resources. Uh, And at the end, he will ask us to give an account for how we invested them. Did we use what we have to serve the master and to bear fruit in this life? Or did we just poured them for ourselves, and fail to multiply or grow. And so this message this morning is called The Kingdom of Heaven and the Shrewd Investor. We've been doing a kingdom series, as Pastor Chris mentioned. We've talked about a whole bunch of stuff. But this week, I want to talk about what is the kingdom of heaven worth? Because Jesus talked a bunch about what is the worth of the kingdom. And it, we, then we got to ask ourselves, well, what is the kingdom of heaven worth? And is it worth it? What is Jesus asking of us and why should we trust him? There is so much that we can do in our lives. We could go to private school, go to public school. We could not go to school. We could get a job. We could not get a job. We could get a job in finance. We could get a job in teaching. We could get a job in Centrelink. Uh, There's two kinds of jobs there. one behind the counter one in front of the counter and we could do all kinds of things with our life which what what should we do we can do many things but what should we do imagine that your mum gives you a call one day i use mum cuz like i got a real soft spot for my mum shit bless her she's so she's so brave with technology always ploughing forwards but um, in that bravery, she's a little nervous and often makes some fumbles. My brother walked into uh, my mom's office one day and she was Skyping with uh, someone from a foreign country and uh, they had... That She was just saying to them, no worries, Uh, I'm just putting through my credit card details now and then you can take remote access of my computer to get rid of the virus which you've told me about. (laughs) And my brother walks no, stop, get rid of Sanjeev, he's not looking out for you. (laughs) Bless her. Okay, so your mum gives you a call one day and there's a man who's contacted her from the other side of the world And and he he has asked her to invest in his business idea. She is really excited because he's promising really good returns on the money that she's going to invest. And she calls you and she says, "Uh, I've sold my house and I've sold all my belongings and I'm putting everything that I have into this investment opportunity. And she wants to know if you want in as well. How do we feel about the person on the other end of the phone? How do we feel about people like that? Not good, right? Like, don't don't ask my mum to put everything she's got on the line, right? It's just, it's, it's really nerve-wracking. And yet, Jesus is actually calling us to do just that. I think, can we see the first picture, Jane? I think we get real comfortable with this kind of Jesus. We've got a picture there of... um. There we go. We get real comfortable with this Jesus, but sometimes we miss the Jesus in the scriptures. We see the Jesus who talks about love and changing people's hearts, but we miss the Jesus who announces himself as king and plans for world domination. We ought to believe what we read, not read what we believe. When you read the scriptures, Jesus is a boss. He is he is loving and he is the boss. Often we get the loving side, we miss the boss side. You see, my dad was nervous about Jesus suggesting that we make monetary investments. But Jesus wasn't suggesting that. And you might think, oh, he was suggesting less, the more comfortable version. No, Jesus was suggesting more. He doesn't just give financial advice. He gives life advice. He doesn't just say, invest a bit. He says, invest a whole lot. When you read the scriptures, we don't discover a Jesus who's trying to arrange our bank accounts for the sake of safety. We discover an audacious Jesus who is calling us to put everything we have behind the one thing that holds true value, which he says is the kingdom of heaven. So God is looking for good investors. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. I'm not going to uh, put a copyright thing on what? God needs good investors. And this has been his plan from the beginning. You and I, as believers in Christ, have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We are called to rule as stewards under the king. This has been the plan from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden that we would be stewards of this earth and it is the plan right now that we would rule the earth and it is the plan for the future that we would be co-rulers with Christ and so he wants to teach us how to be good investors? How are we going to rule well? Are we going to uh, invest our resources in something that's going to bring good returns, not just for ourselves, but for the world? Are we going to go out and create a better world than what we found? Or are we going to hoard things for ourselves? And this is something that Jesus is teaching me and has been teaching me as long as I've been walking with him. And you, I'm sure you will have found the same. That he starts to talk to you about your values. Not just what do you value, but what are your values? What do you think is right and wrong? What do you think is good from bad? He starts talking to you about your time. He starts talking to you about how do you prioritize your time? Because what is worth spending your time on? He starts talking to you about your money. Because what value do you have in your money? I used to want to be rich and famous. I'm going to be honest with you. But I've begun to lay that dream down in my life because I've recognized true value. Not because, uh, not because I'm just uh, like sorrowfully submitting to the, the um, lordship of Christ. I'm like, oh God, I just, I really want to be rich and famous, but you just are so like imposing on me. No, he starts to show you what has greater value in this world and what has greater value in this life. If the, if, rich and rich, if riches and fame brought happiness, then the richest, most famous people in the world would be the happiest. And we know that that's just not the truth. And he starts to shape your dreams. He's reshaping what is it that you want in this life? What is it that you find truly valuable? And so, as investors, there's three, ten of the best things you say, I'm an investor. As an investor, there's three big questions that we've got. What is it worth? As in, what does it cost us? Is it worth it? Is it going to give us a good return on our investment? And can he be trusted? Do we know that he's going to deliver on his promise? So the first thing, what is it worth? Matthew 13, 46 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. So the first parable, the kingdom is the treasure that we are seeking. And that treasure is so valuable, it's worth putting everything else on the line to acquire it. But notice that in the second parable, again, starting at again, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom is the merchant, not the treasure. The kingdom is the merchant who is searching. So you could read that to mean that Jesus is the merchant looking for us. And that's powerful because in the first parable, he's saying, guys, acquire the kingdom and put everything you have on the line to get it. But in the second parable, he's saying, I am a merchant looking for choice pearls. You are the choice pearls, and I am willing to put everything on the line to acquire you. So this is not one way. And what we know is that Jesus did pay the ultimate price. He gave up his life. God gave up his son so that we could be welcomed into relationship with him. So let's imagine it like this. You can't afford flights. To Sydney for presence conference. So you decide, I'm going to pack the family into a van and we're going to drive there. And on the way, you stop on the side of the road to take a leak. And, and as you're walking out to like it, you're on the hay plains. There's nothing as far as the eye can see, but just flat hay land. And you, you walk over to take a leak on the side of the road and you trip on a little stone. And you look down, and it's just this little thing jutting out of the ground. And so you, you give it a bit of a scuffle, and it's quite shiny. So you, you you reach down to see what it is, and you start to scratch. You keep digging around. It gets bigger and bigger the further underneath it goes. And what you've discovered is an enormous golden nugget, You've, it's like it's like the new gold rush in Australia. you've just discovered this huge piece of gold you can't take the gold because babies are crying in the back of the car. also the field does not belong to you the gold does not belong to you. So you you cover it up again and you say here's what I'm gonna do. We're going home, I'm gonna sell the van I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, sell all my things and I'm gonna go and buy that piece of land from that farmer. So that I can get the gold that's in the, in the land. Okay. So here's the thing about investments, right? When you're selling your van and you're selling your possessions to be able to buy the piece of land, it's not so much about what you're losing. It's about what you're gaining. It's not a poor choice to make that investment. Because you know that there's a nugget of gold there, and so it's worth the price that you will pay. And this is incredible, because Jesus is telling us the kingdom of heaven is worth you putting everything you have on the line to acquire. Is that not incredible? That's a pretty incredible statement. I love Dragon's Den. And Shark Tank. Has anybody seen those shows? It's a show where they got four, wealth or five, wealthy investors sitting on a panel, and entrepreneurs come and pitch their business idea, and then the then the investors, the the dragons or the sharks, decide whether or not they're going to invest in that idea. And one investor was talking to an entrepreneur who had put in over four hundred thousand dollars into his business and seen no return. And the inv- the investor said this, which really struck me and stuck with me. He said, you know, I see my money as soldiers. Every day I send out my soldiers and they come back and they capture more soldiers and they bring them back. You're sending your soldiers out to die on the battlefield And they continually die. No one comes back. No one retrieves any more people. And you just keep sending them on out. Isn't that a fascinating way of looking at money? The point of an investment is to bring a return. Here's what these investors have never said on the show. I love the business. I'm confident that it will bring me a good return on my investment. But there's a really nice car that I want at the moment and I won't have enough money for both, so I won't be investing, I'm out. That's never been said on the show. And yet I think we say that to God all the time, right? We say, God, I really want what you've got. Um, I believe that there's a return, uh, but there's just certain comforts that I'm not willing to give up because they're really, really nice, (laughs) And so Matthew 6 addresses this. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. For your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Turn to the person next to you say, seek first the kingdom of God. Thank you for helping me preach and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The second question, is it worth it? Will we get a return? I'm going to let Jesus do the sales pitch. Uh, in Matthew 19, Jesus replies, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. A hundred to one is a good investment return. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then and those who seem least important now will be greatest then. That's Jesus's sale pitch. I'm going to leave it at that. The third question is, can he be trusted? Can Jesus be trusted to deliver what he's promised? <laughs> In Dragon's Den, they don't just invest in the idea. They invest in the person. If the person has a good business, but they feel like they just would not be able to take it there, they don't invest. And in the same way, you wouldn't expect to invest in Jesus if you think that he's not going to deliver a return. So what is it that makes Jesus investable? Well, if you're going to invest in eternity, you want to take advice from someone who has been there. J. John says this, the greatest miracle is that Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. People talk about all these other religions. And he says, so what? what? What about them? Jesus is alive. So when you're walking down a path and you reach a crossroads, a fork in the road, and there's two men lying there, and one of them is dead and one of them is alive, which one are you going to ask for directions? The one who is alive. Jesus is alive. He has been to hell. He conquered death and he rose again. He went to heaven and he knows how to get there. He knows the future world that he's bringing. And so if there's anyone that can be trusted to, to, to back for uh, the sake of eternity, it has to be Jesus. Okay. So you want to invest, but you want to know how. So we're going to finish with an illustration about one particular area that Jesus asked us to sacrifice in. What does it cost, this kingdom of heaven? And he asked us to uh, make a sacrifice in a certain area, but I think that this certain area will give us a window to see how we are called to invest in many other areas of our life. And so I'm going to need some uh, volunteers, and I'm going to ask you to put your hand up if you uh, enjoyed drama in high school. Alicia. Very good. Dylan, I'm going to ask you, even though you didn't put your hand up, you can, uh, you can just deal with that. Very good. Have we got it? Wait, I need one more, one more volunteer. Now we've got a nice loud booming voice, doesn't it? Georgia. Fantastic. Okay. So we're going to read, George, would you come up? Jordan's going to give us an impromptu, uh, on the spot composed soundtrack to this story. And if the people who put their hands up, if you could just stand and come over here, we're going to do a, this is a live, uh, casting call. And I'm going to, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. Fantastic. Just stand over here and then I'll call upon you when the story warrants it. Each of these guys is going to get a microphone of their own and we're going to do a live directing. I'm actually, I actually direct films, uh, in my spare time, which is uh, a full-time job. And, uh, and so I'm going to direct these guys as we reenact a scene together of a parable that Jesus told. Okay. Sound good? Sound good? All right. So we need a little bit of context. So Jane, I'm going to ask you to hit the scripture. Uh, which is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. And uh, once we've read a slide, you can skip straight to the next one and that'll keep us moving. Okay, so directors don't go on stage. They just sit in the front row. Here we go. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? So we're talking about forgiveness, right? Good. Not seven times. Seven times. Jesus replied, but 70 times 7. Who can do the maths on that? 490. What is it? 490. 490. That's a lot of times to forgive somebody. I don't think he literally meant count until you get to 490 and then stop forgiving them. Right? It's just meant to be a lot. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. Dylan's our king. Yes. Up, in the, up on center stage, Dylan fantastic do kingly things maybe stand here facing that way we'll do a little block who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him you can just watch the screen you'll get a line very soon in the process one of his debtors Lisha, you're a debtor so come and come and kneel for us facing Dylan please Where are we? In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. So Leisha owes the king, Dylan, millions of dollars. Is anyone in debt by millions of dollars? That's a lot, right? (laughs) Leisha couldn't pay. So Dylan the king orders that she be sold along with her husband her children and everything that she owns to pay the debt. Now she she owes millions of dollars, right? And so she, she has to pay the debt in some way. So she, now she's being here. He's saying, "Look, I'm going to sell you, everyone around you, and all your things to pay the debt." But the man fell down before his master and begged him, "This is your line, Lisa." <laughs> She's going <laughs> difficult to read from down there. So can you, you read us your line, Leisha? Here we go.
0: Hold on. Please
1: is be it? patient with me.
0: Please be patient with me and I will
1: pay it all. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do live directing, okay? So I'm going to pretend to direct you, but I'm actually just preaching. <laughs> so in this moment, we've got to really feel your, your sorrow, right? You owe a lot of money. And this is not just about your livelihood, but this is about the livelihood of those around you. This is about putting everything that you have on the line. None of it belongs to you because you owe so much. Surely this is a metaphor for our sin, right? The debt that we owe God for what we have done wrong. And so when she says, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. The weight of your world is crashing down on you. You, you could potentially lose your entire life. You could lose your life. And not just that, lose the lives of those around you. So let's read again with, with conviction. You did a great job for the first time, but you know, here we go.
0: Please be patient with me and pay it all.
1: Let's give her a hand. That's good. Then this master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. Do you want to just do a releasing action? You are gone. You are forgiven. Oh. Next slide. Next slide, Jane. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant. Oh, so you didn't even get a line after all. You'll get one later. Thank you. Take, take uh, Just hop off the stage for us, Leisha. You're going to come over here. You're replacing the position of the king... And your servant comes up. When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant. That's you, Georgia. Who owed him a few thousand dollars. Can anyone do the maths on this? What's a greater sum of money? Millions of dollars or a few thousand dollars? Okay. So Georgia owes Leisha a few thousand dollars. She grabs her by the throat. Now, okay, so in stage acting... What you do if you watch movies carefully, they put the hand here, but they and then they just like look really intense. Because you can't kill actors in movies. That's that doesn't work. So you can just do that. She grabs him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Keep keep there, keep there. Yeah, drama. His fellow servant fell down before him very carefully because she's got a baby sleeping on her and begged for a little more time. Georgie, your line. Down the bottom, be patient with me. Be patient with me and I will pay it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? But his creditor, Leisha, would not wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. You are the other servants in this story. Would anybody be upset by that? Thank you for your assistance. I mean, it's funny, but let's just take a moment, right? It's actually disgusting (laughs) behaviour. To owe someone millions of dollars, be forgiven your debt, and then demand someone pay a few thousand is disgusting. It's hypocritical. Okay, so they saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. Georgie, you're in prison. Off you go, the king comes back and you're facing the king and his council. The king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Next slide. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Holy moly. (laughs) You guys can be seated. Let's give them a round of applause. We pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is the area that I'm talking about that requires our sacrifice. It's the forgiveness of others. God says that your forgiveness of others is inherently linked to His forgiveness to you. All of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God and we need God's forgiveness. He doesn't, he doesn't say seven times. He says 70 times seven. Forgiveness is a decision. I'm sure that you have people in your life that have wronged you. But forgiveness is not about them making right what they did. It's about you making a decision in your heart to let go. I heard someone say that holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You have bitterness inside your heart and that bitterness, God hates it. Because He has extended His grace to you and He's asking you to extend that same grace to others. Why does He say 70 times 7? Is it because they're going to do it 490 times? I think maybe it's because we might forgive somebody, make a decision to forgive, and yet the next day when it comes to our mind again, the same anger bubbles up. We need to again forgive. And the next day when the anger bubbles up, we need to forgive again forgive again and continually make the decision to forgive, to let go of bitterness. And this is how we invest. This is a powerful principle that doesn't just apply to forgiveness. The principle is this, what grace has given you, give to others. What grace has given you, may it pass to others. If you're blessed with wealth, give to the poor. If you're healthy, use it to help those who are not. If you've been healed, heal the sick. If you've been set free from sin, don't condemn others, set them free. If you have found a friend in Jesus, be a friend to others. If you have found hope in Jesus, give hope to others. And use what you've been given to serve the Lord. Bring your tithe, serve in the house, serve His people, serve others. Would you stand with me? Why don't you just close your eyes. In this moment, here in the presence of God, I would ask you to search your heart and search your mind. If there is somebody that you, in your heart, you have bitterness towards them. You have unforgiveness for them. Now, I'm not condemning you for that because people wrong us and it hurts. But I'm saying to you this morning that you don't need them to apologise to make a decision to forgive. You don't need them to make good their actions for you to make it good in your heart. You can turn evil into good by the power of forgiveness. So I'll just ask you to just reach out your hands to God. This is something that we so need His help with. Father I pray right now that each of us holding on to bitterness that you would turn our eyes from their sin to our sin that we would be able to see God that you first forgave us and you extended your hand of grace towards us we pray that you would help us to continually make the decision to let go of bitterness to let go of unforgiveness to make the decision to say I forgive that person I forgive them I may not feel it but I am deciding it thank you Jesus there's people here this morning you may not struggle with unforgiveness but you've You've got areas of your life where you would, you would not be willing to give them over to God. Maybe they're areas of comfort. Maybe they're areas of dreams. Maybe they're areas of like resources that you're thinking to yourself, if God asked me to sell everything, to give everything up, this is the one thing that I would really struggle to give up. And in doing that, we have undervalued the kingdom. And so I would just love to pray for you as well this morning. Father, we're sorry for uh, not putting a proper price tag on what it is that you've offered. We're sorry for not acknowledging you as the Lord and the Saviour that you are, the King and the Master. And Father, we pray for your help. We pray for your help to see true value. God, we pray you help us to trust you and put our trust in eternity, not in things that will rust and fade here on earth. And Father, we're asking that if there's things in our life that we need to be giving over to you, giving into your hands, that you would help us to do that in Jesus' Name. I got one last question, and that is, if there's people here who you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, you've never made a decision to say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've made the decision in the past, but you want to come back this morning. I, I, I would love to pray with you to ask Jesus to come into your heart. So while everyone's eyes are closed, I'm going to ask those people in just a moment to lift up their hands so that I can see it. And we're going to pray together. So if that's you, if, you, if you've if you never asked Jesus to come into your heart, or you have, but you want to do it again to come back, I would love to pray that prayer with you to ask Him to come into your heart. So if that's you here this morning, would you just lift up your hand right now so I can see it and we'll, we'll pray together. We'll ask Jesus to come into your heart. That is the best decision you could ever make. Who is there that wants to make that decision? fantastic let's pray that prayer together as believers why don't you repeat after me dear Lord Jesus we thank you for what you did on the cross we thank you that your grace abounds to us thank you that we are saved we are set free, we are forgiven and we pray God for your help to extend that grace to others in Jesus name fantastic awesome give Brendan
0: a hand what a powerful message I just love that little picture uh, towards the end there you know that harboring bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and just waiting for somebody else to die um It's just so, such a deceptive thing that we trap ourselves in. So it's an awesome thing. Let's take that home. Let's actually do that. I encourage us as we pray this week to seek places in our heart where we're harbouring either unforgiveness or that we're just hiding things. Who who knows? Brendan talked about parts of our lives that we're not willing to give over to God. I think that some people think they hide it from God. I, 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 I'm guilty. I've tried that. I've tried hiding things from God. Uh, doesn't work. Just just a tip. Uh, God sees everything. and you know, Everything is that thing. Not everything but. Just everything. So don't bother hiding stuff from God. He knows. Just give it up to him. And let me tell you that the things you think you're hiding, God can do more with than you ever could.